Our scripture reading tonight is uh, John 1, 35 through 42. I'm going to read those verses, and then as the sermon goes on, we're also going to be reading in John 12 and in John 6. And uh, this is in a little mini-series we've come to from time to time called Encounters with Jesus. Uh, Dr. Berksma preached a couple of encounters with Jesus the last couple of Sunday nights. And when, we, when he first joined our church, we asked him to do some preaching. We were doing a little series along those lines a year ago, and he said he was so inspired by that that he would, wanted to do a couple more of those. Well, I wasn't so inspired by his two messages that I thought, you know, let's do another encounter with Jesus tonight. So that's the plan. Let's listen to John 1, beginning at verse 35. This is God's holy and infallible word. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. So in these, uh, these several sermons we've been doing called Encounters with Jesus, we've been seeing people who have met Jesus. And we've been looking at these people not to be like those people, not to follow them, but in order to meet and follow Jesus, our Lord. It's always all about Jesus, but at the same time, God's, in his word, graciously gives us an assortment of people all throughout the Bible, men and women, different personalities to build up our faith. And in particular, uh, with the 12 disciples, uh, we see this variety of guys, their strengths, their weaknesses, and it's as, it's as if God is saying, if, if I can use these guys, hey, I can use you too. And that's a really great comfort to all of us. Uh, the disciple Andrew, his name means manly or brave, which if you have little kids and we're looking at names, you might have known that already. Um, he has something to teach us about meeting Jesus. And he has something to teach us about what, in, what meeting Jesus does to a person. We don't really read a ton about Andrew in the Bible. Most of what we have is in the Gospel of John, and that's why uh, the several texts we're going to look at are in John. And then there's really nothing after Pentecost in the book of Acts or in any of the letters to the churches. Some of the thoughts and inspiration uh, for tonight's message on Andrew come from a, a book by uh, Pastor John MacArthur that he wrote about the 12 disciples a few years ago. And a big theme of that book, which is not the main theme of the message, but 
it applies. Um, the main theme of that book he wrote, it, which is really good, it, it's how Jesus accomplishes extraordinary things through ordinary people, like those 12 disciples. What, what we're going to see tonight is how Andrew's encounter with Jesus inspired him to expand Christ's kingdom. All right? Andrew, pretty ordinary guy, we're going to see it turns out. He met Jesus, and through that encounter with Jesus, he was inspired to expand the kingdom of God in some really remarkable ways. And we see that inspiration right away the very first time we meet Andrew in the Gospel of John. We read in our text about Andrew and then another follower of John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist was that forerunner of Jesus. Andrew is named, but then not the other disciple, which makes us think it was the disciple John. In his gospel, as you might know, John avoids using his own name. Out of humility, we suppose. John the Baptist was there with his two disciples when Jesus walks by. Look, says the Baptist, the Lamb of God. And then those two disciples of him did the right thing. They started following Jesus. And so it turns out they had been paying attention to their former rabbi, John the Baptist, because he was saying all along that he was preparing the way for one greater than him. And here he was. He arrived. It was Jesus. They followed Jesus. And then the first thing we read that Andrew did was to tell his brother Simon Peter about Jesus. And then Andrew brought Peter to meet Jesus, which was something. You think about it. Andrew encounters Jesus, and boom, meeting Jesus has an immediate and a powerful effect on him. He didn't have to go home for a while to think this one over, to sleep on it for a night. He acted. He introduced his brother to Jesus. And so, first of all, it seems to me that what we can say about Andrew's encounter with Jesus is that Jesus inspired him to share Jesus with those who were close to him. And really, the most effective way that people become a Christian is through one person, one individual, personal contact. Hearing about Jesus at a personal level is best and it's most common. We know a whole lot about Peter, just a little bit about Andrew, but all indications are that these two brothers were quite different. Andrew was always behind the scenes. Peter was always front and center. And, and you wonder if that ever caused friction between the brothers, if they were like most siblings. I bet it probably did. But Peter was his brother, and Andrew loved him. And in meeting Jesus himself, he knew right away his loved one needed to meet Jesus too. And so even if Jesus, if Peter would end up taking the limelight like he maybe always did growing up, he was still going to bring his dear brother to meet this Jesus. And I think it's something else that Andrew doesn't have to think twice about this. That's how profound, that's how impactful meeting Jesus was. I've got to tell Peter about this guy. I just have to. And you know, that's how we feel too about 
maybe our family members who have never met Jesus, or family members who uh, we feel have met him, but maybe these days uh, they tend to be wandering from the faith, and they're not staying close to Jesus' word. Jesus changes us, and we want those close to us to meet Jesus too. Family members, I know, can be some of the hardest people to bring to Jesus. But yet it's that, that personal contact through your words and actions that's, that's the most effective way that God uses for people to be saved. You know, most people are, are never going to preach to hundreds or thousands like Andrew's brother Peter did at Pentecost. Do you remember that? And 3,000 were saved. We don't have any indication that Andrew ever spoke to throngs like that. But he did bring Peter to Jesus, didn't he? He did what each one of us can do. He shared Jesus with someone close to him. One person at a time. God chooses to build the kingdom that way in dramatic and powerful ways. A good number of you out here, I think, know a, a guy in our community named Al Harima. He leads All God's Children. That's the organization that supports the orphanages in Honduras that we've been connected with for years. Well, Al and Gert have four children. Their youngest is a girl, Jamie, and he's married to Mark Walgamuth. Mark's grandfather, Sam, was a preacher. Maybe he still is. I don't know if he's still living. Well, he was trained uh, for ministry in, in circles that identify success for a pastor to be directly related uh, to how many people give their lives to Christ after a sermon. And once, this Pastor Sam Walgama, uh, early on in his ministry, I think, he, he preached before a group and when it came time for people to respond for the altar call, one person stood up. Only one of all the people there. His heart sank. He had failed. But it turns out this one person who responded was Ravi Zacharias. You heard of him? He went on to have a worldwide ministry that has reached thousands, probably millions of people with the message of Jesus. Just takes one. And I've got to tell you tonight, too, about Edward Kimball. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was timid. He was shy. He was soft-spoken. He felt led once to go reach out to one of the boys in his Sunday school class during the week. And he went to go find him where he was working. It was in some stock room. Uh, this was in Chicago. And Kimball went there with fear and trembling. He was so nervous, but yet he felt led. He felt led. And so th this kid needed to know Jesus. And so he obeyed the Holy Spirit's prompting. And later on, he said he has no idea even what he was stammering and bumbling. He couldn't remember what he said. He said, I think I said something about Jesus and his love. That's all I remember. But right then and there, D.L. Moody met Jesus and gave him his heart as a little boy. Meeting Jesus inspires us to share Jesus with those close to us.
Andrew didn't seem to have crowds around him. He worked more this way, one-on-one. And I can tell you, to have a church filled with Andrews is all any church needs. Just because you don't speak in front of groups or you're not a leader doesn't mean you can't do anything. Each one of us can share the gospel. Think of as parents, as a cadet leader, a Sunday school teacher, volunteering at VBS that's coming up around the corner, or children's church, the nurseries, or whatever. Jesus inspires us to reach out to the people close to us, family members, fellow church members, a friend, co-workers, one person at a time. And that's some of the stuff that, that uh, Brad Eitzen, that missionary who is here, uh, this morning and at the men's breakfast was talking about practical, concrete ways that we can do that. But you know there's more about Andrew than just that little passage. Um, secondly, we could say that his encounter with Jesus inspired him to engage those who were different from him. And we get this from John 12, 20 to 22. Let me read those verses for you. John 12, 20 to 22. Now there were some now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. We get the impression here and in a couple other places that maybe Philip and Andrew were buddies. They hung out a little bit. Um, and, and somehow maybe Philip was even quieter and more shy than Andrew. So he met these Greeks. Then he got Andrew first, and together they went to tell Jesus about the Greeks. And so we see when we look at Scripture, Andrew's the type of guy who who shared Jesus with someone who was close to him, his brother. But it's interesting that Andrew didn't just stick to his own. He didn't just stop among people he knew. He dared to engage other cultures even, these Greeks. Somehow, these guys, maybe it was women too, were interested in the God of the Jews, and that's why they were there in Jerusalem. But you know, this would have been a really odd thing for Andrew to do. Because back then, most church members stuck to their own. We read in Jesus' day that they thumbed their noses at tax collectors, Samaritans, people with seedy backgrounds, or or people of different cultures, non-Jews. The Greek culture was totally different from the Jewish culture, and what, what, what's cool about this is what would happen in the future. And there's no way Andrew could have known the full extent of this. But at Pentecost, the gospel would go out to Jew and Gentile, all nations, all people. So this engagement with the Greeks and bringing them to Jesus was a foreshadowing of God's exciting plan for the world all along. And so meeting Jesus inspires us not just to share Jesus with those close to us, but it also inspired us to engage people different from us, people of different cultures and backgrounds who we also want to meet Jesus. 
And for a behind-the-scenes type of guy, quieter guy, this might have been a real stretch for Andrew. And sometimes we have to stretch ourselves there. This uh, kind of makes me think of our engagement with, with Roseland Christian Reformed Church once a year. And I think that's a good thing. I think God uses that engagement with other cultures to expand his kingdom. And, and any other way we can engage other cultures near and far, people who aren't like us, is wonderful. Because the gospel goes out to everyone. Jesus isn't just for people like us. And I think uh, of what Pastor Matthew said in the message this morning, how he saw that in such a profound way in the, the church that his parents attended in Abu Dhabi, and that sign of all the different cultures and languages that meet in that church. Um, all who have been given and received the message of Jesus. Church tradition tells us that Andrew would go on after Pentecost to even more different cultures, especially he, he was a guy who went north. Uh, we know from church history he went all the way to, to, to Scythia, and that's in, in southern Russia. In fact, he's the patron saint of Russia, and he also went on to other countries north of Israel, and who knows what effect his ministry might have had on northern Europe. Andrew's heart to engage different cultures, to think, hey, they need to know Jesus too, not just my brother, not just my family, not just people like me. That heart and desire God may very well have used to reach millions of people. Ultimately, uh, we understand that, that Andrew was martyred near Achaia, in Achaia, actually, which is near Athens, Greece, and that's in the home country of, of these Greeks from John 12. The account goes that, that he led a wife of a provincial Roman governor to Jesus, and that so infuriated her husband that he demanded that she recant her devotion to Jesus. She refused, and so this governor had Andrew crucified, and he was he was lashed, lashed onto a cross, not nailed, so that his suffering would last really long. And the tradition says it was an X-shaped cross, and that he hung for at least two days. And for those two days, in excruciating pain, he called down, they say, to any and every passerby to turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. Anyone who crossed his path, people he had never seen before, they needed to meet as Jesus too. And of course, of course, Jesus inspires us to do the same. And we pray for opportunities to be able to do that. And we pray for courage to be able to do that and to have just the right words or actions to show Jesus' love, right? Andrew's encounter with Jesus inspired him finally to use whatever was available to him for Jesus and for the kingdom. And this comes from John 6, verses 1 through 13. And I'm not going to read it. You can gladly open your Bibles up to it. It's uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had gone to a mountain to be alone with his disciples to take a break from the public ministry, as he did more often, uh, to pray with the Father, to rejuvenate. But then we read there that the multitudes tracked him down 
And this was in John 6, just before Passover, we read, which was a year, we understand, before his crucifixion. This big group needed to eat. Uh, Jesus asked Philip, oh, where will we get food for these people? John gives us a little commentary in verse 6, uh, which is fitting for John. John's always emphasizing the deity of Christ, um, his power, that he's God. Um, why did we read from John? He's making really clear that he didn't ask Philip for help because he was stuck. No, Jesus was sovereignly in control of the situation, and he was testing the disciples, which must have been very frustrating to them because there was really no solution to this. There's no way they could feed a huge group, 5,000 men, probably many other women and children too, and then we read in John 6 that Andrew, that's where it comes up again, he's the one who spoke up about the boy and his five small loaves of bread and two small fish. It was Andrew. And he had to have known this was not nearly enough. But somehow, instinctively, Andrew seemed to know that even though this was woefully inadequate, yet Jesus, Jesus could do something with it. And so Andrew did his best. He identified the one and only food source available. He used and he took what God made available to him and he trusted that somehow Jesus could use that. And the reality is that nothing, we think about our own lives, nothing, no matter how little it is that we have, nothing is insignificant in the hands of Jesus. And there's a similar lesson to that in Luke 21, where Jesus saw uh, some very wealthy people giving their offerings at the temple, and also a poor widow. And he said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others because she gave out of her poverty. She was giving all she had. Andrew seemed to know that it would not be wasting Jesus' time to bring him something so small. And as one pastor puts it, he seemed to know that it's not the greatness of what's given to Jesus, but the greatness of our God to whom our gifts are given. And the fact is that Jesus didn't even need that lunch, right? He could have created all that food from nothing easily. But the way he fed the 5,000 illustrates the way that God works. He takes what is insignificant by the world's standards, the gifts of people who give sacrificially and faithfully, and he multiplies those gifts to accomplish monumental, amazing things. And we might think about our lives, our, our service in the church, in the kingdom, and say, shoot, I'm not very talented. I'm really shy. But the fact is, God can and he does use anybody. God, God used a big mouth, impulsive person like Peter, and he used an Andrew, a more behind-the-scenes guy, a guy who thought here, well... I don't know what Jesus possibly could do with this lunch, but man, Jesus told us to do it, so I guess I'll just try to be faithful and, and use what he's presented me. Bam! 
Jesus does one of the most powerful, amazing miracles in his whole ministry. You know, we think, I think a lot that, that what we've got, what's at our disposal, isn't really much to compare it to what other people have or, or, or the world, but, but God uses what we have. Now, it's true for me tonight. It's true for you, too. Whatever it is you have, little as you might feel it is, with what little money maybe that you have, what difference could you make in the church? Well, when people give faithfully and prayerfully, as God calls us to with, with what we've got, well, Jesus can and does multiply that to do great things beyond what we could ever imagine. I'm not a great pe- preacher. I'm not outgoing. I'm not musical. I've got no education. What can I do? What do I have? Well, you just bring what you do have. And Jesus can work with that. He can work with nothing. Bring what you do have, and Jesus will do great things. And so Andrew's encounter with Jesus inspired him to share with those close to him, to engage people not like him, people different from him, and to just use what he had for the Lord. Where does all that come from? Well, it comes from meeting Jesus, right? It comes from Jesus being in our hearts, which is what happens when we follow him. You know, we talk about Palm Sunday to Easter as Holy Week. We're headed to the cross. And on that cross, as we peek ahead to that a little bit, you know, we know that Jesus was a very unlikely source of great things, a very unlikely source of world change. But all along, alone on that cross, his death would pay for the sins of the world. And it was a most unlikely scenario. A man who appeared to be at his weakest moment, but right there, it is finished. The work was done. The greatest work ever, salvation. Jesus didn't die like a hero. He died with criminals, as a criminal. He was given the death penalty, reserved for only the very worst of people. He had nothing. He wore nothing. They gambled his clothes away. He died without a shirt on his back, literally, with people jeering, spitting on him. He was a human picture of nothingness. Nothing. Nothing there. But look what God did with that. He raised Christ from the dead, and now it's precisely that sacrifice that empowers us. God, by grace, imputes us with Christ's righteousness, fills us with his spirit, and that's what inspiration literally means, right? To be filled with the spirit. And we are in Jesus, so that the smallest of us can bring great change and do great things. His shed blood empowers us. And so uh, the message is not to be like Andrew, but it's to be all that you can be in Jesus. There's nothing small, there's nothing insignificant about the people you know. There's nothing small or insignificant about the means that you have when you've met Jesus, when you belong to him, okay? Okay.